welcome to the Cloutcast. I'm Michael McDevitt, and I'll be your host this week. Ahead of the February 28th election, the Daily Line conducted an interview with 47th Ward Alderman Matt Martin, who recently introduced a proposal calling for a hearing on the possibility of rank choice voting in Chicago's municipal elections. Alderman Martin, thank you for joining me. Why don't you tell me about when you first learned about rank choice voting, what did you think? Were there any, was there any confusion from you and uh, how did you go about educating yourself on this topic? Appreciate the opportunity to talk with you about this, this really important and interesting issue. Um, one of the first times I had the opportunity to wrap my head around it, it was just reading a one or two pager that someone had sent me. And so I could understand intuitively in some ways, ranked choice voting, okay, there are certain people that I'm ranking. So let's figure out how many I'm ranking um, and how those rankings are gonna be used to decide the ultimate outcome. And in terms of reading those one or two page documents, it seemed like there were a few different ways in which it could operate, but um, it answered most of my questions. Um, I did want to know, well, how has it been used in reality in other places? And so I fell down a rabbit hole a little bit in terms of looking into places like the state of Alaska, New York City, uh, how they've been using it. From what I understand, it's not a system that's used in um that many places, it's used in select cities and, and some uh, select elections in certain states. But yeah, what have you seen in, in different places? Dozens of dozens of jurisdictions use it. Um, to your point though, I think that there are relatively few states where the entirety of the state or a statewide race uses it. Um, I imagine it'll just be a matter of time before people really take that up based on the many benefits involved with ranked choice voting. Do you want to explain what ranked choice voting is? I know this can be kind of a difficult thing for people to begin to wrap their heads around it, and it often starts with explaining what ranked choice voting actually is. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I'll start by stepping back in terms of explaining what I think we're looking to address and then what the mechanics of it are. Sure. So th there are a few things that we're really concerned with. One is um, increasingly people complaining about the need for what a lot of people will call strategic voting. So say... I have candidate A, who is by far my preferred candidate out of, say, a group of 10 mayoral candidates. Um, but I don't perceive them being the likeliest to win or having a good chance. So even though I'm most excited about voting for them because I can only vote for one person, I'm going to vote for somebody else. And too often people get dispirited. They may ultimately choose not to participate in many or any elections as a result of that. So that's a concern. We also know relative to prior mayoral elections that turnout increasingly is just way too low. In 2019, I believe it was around 34%, give or take a few points. If you think about in a race like 1983, uh, the first race that Harold Washington won for mayor, turnout was over 80% there. So something's not right. I get that municipal elections and municipal politics and governance might not be as sexy, as glamorous as uh, federal politics or even state politics, but it's so critically important. We need to get more people interested. And then lastly is it helps reduce some barriers to entry for people. Um, jurisdictions that have adopted ranked choice voting, many of them have seen ultimately more women, more people of color winning. And for uh, a city that is so diverse like Chicago's, I think making sure that we're removing as many barriers as possible to people running um, viable and ultimately successful campaigns. So that's what we're looking to do. Get people more energized and engaged in our municipal election process. So where does ranked choice voting come in? 
We know from a number of other cities that have adopted this, it has addressed all of those issues and more. And oh, by the way, because right now we so often go to runoffs, that is expensive, right? Um, to, I've to, heard that turnout drops off in runoffs or turns, it, it, it seems to be the trend. That is often the case and because people might say, oh, it's a foregone conclusion that person A or B will win that runoff, but also it costs the city money. Um, and we know that we need all the money we can get for really, really important programs. And while ensuring that our municipal elections are conducted freely and fairly, uh, I don't hear a lot of folks clamoring for runoffs, really excited about the opportunity uh, to vote in runoffs or to otherwise participate in them. And so what ranked choice voting would allow people to do is say rank, hypothetically speaking, their top five candidates. So you might say, um, Jane Smith, I'm really, really excited about voting for her, but I'm not sure if she has the best chance. So number two, maybe I'll vote for um, Jane Doe, who I think has a little better chance of winning. Um, so you can kind of have your cake and eat it too. And rank as many as you want, but say oftentimes it's upwards of five. And then what happens is you start as the um, elections board, elections entity, by uh, tallying all those votes, first votes, first place votes all the way to five. And you look at the lowest performing candidate, you say, okay, we're gonna take all of your votes away and look at who you've placed second, who your voters placed a second, redistribute those second place votes as if they were first place votes to the other, say, nine candidates. And then you do that, you just keep going, crossing people out, reallocating um, votes until you get to two final people. I've heard um, it described as an instant runoff process. Before. That's yes, yes. So it essentially allows people to list a number of candidates that they would be most excited about. And then through this process of elimination and redistribution of second, third, fourth place votes uh, avoids the need uh, for a runoff s several weeks down the road. So as you mentioned, yes, an instant runoff is happening. Yeah, when, when I have talked to advocates as a reporter, I've heard them talk about this is a way to eliminate spoiler candidacies. This is a way to um, eliminate the need to strategically vote rather than vote for who you actually would like to vote for. Um, how do you think that factors in to some of the city council and mayoral election this year, uh, where you have in some of these races, you have upwards of 10 to 15 people sometimes mm -hmm. running. How would rank choice voting for someone who's unaware help yeah. With a race like that. So maybe think about it like this. Um, without naming names, yeah, sure. say you have nine mayoral candidates and there's one person who you think um, you're, you're just most excited about. But the polling that you see consistently has that person, say, in low single digits, perhaps within the margin of error. And you say, gosh, I think they would do the best job. I'm most excited to vote for them. Maybe I've campaigned for them. I've door knocked. I've phone called. I've even chipped in a few dollars but I don't wanna feel like I'm throwing my vote away, like a protest vote or playing spoiler. So maybe my second place uh, uh, candidate, the one who I, I most prefer outside of that one person, maybe they're consistently polling in the top two or top three. Um, and yeah, maybe I'm inclined to vote for them even though they're not my top choice, but I think that they're my top choice who has a likelihood of winning. Well, we've seen that polls oftentimes can be misleading. Maybe it's a, just a snapshot in time, but there are lots of different things that go into polls in terms of sampling. And look, I'm obviously no pollster, as any pollster could intuit from hearing me talk about it, but um, 
it's not as if you see one poll and that's exactly how the race is going to go. And so the opportunity to have folks say, look, I'm going to select who I'm most excited about, but because I can also list my second choice candidate, my third choice candidate, if I am ultimately correct, if the polls are correct and my first choice just doesn't have a shot, well, my second place vote, that will still mean something that can still affect the outcome of the race in a positive way. And hopefully at once we adopt this process, it could also change campaigning where someone is less incentivized to go negative against somebody because maybe the idea is, look, I want to be your second choice candidate. Maybe I'm not going to be your first choice, but I want to be your second choice. And it could ultimately have an effect even along the margins of some more positive campaigning because people would be less incentivized and be less zero sum in terms of tearing someone down in order to build yourself up. Yeah, I've heard from advocates as well something that you kind of touched on is that it's it's a way to also avoid a costlier runoff that happens six weeks later uh, for instance uh, have you in the process of beginning to explore this uh, system of voting uh, within Chicago have you seen what one of our typical runoffs cost or how much we could potentially save if this was adopted so that's going to vary, of course, cycle by cycle. Um, up until recently, say, a mayoral runoff was unheard of. Uh, the first mayoral runoff was in 2015. Then we had another one in 2019. And all indications are that we'll have our third consecutive one. And maybe that's going to be the new norm here. Um, when I ran the first time in 2019, uh, it was a crowded nine-way race with a number of strong candidates, and we went to a runoff. Um, and so looking at some prior elections, sometimes runoffs can run tens of millions of dollars. And when you're thinking about one, wanting to make sure that people do have the opportunity to cast their vote in a way that is comfortable for them, it's easy, it's free, that's absolutely critical. I'm not advocating that we just spend less money on elections out of principle, but if we feel like we can reach or stay at a particular threshold to have a first round that's working and then if we can save tens of millions of dollars by avoiding a runoff, that's tens of millions of dollars that can go to any number of things. We can hire more um, crisis workers to respond to nonviolent mental health calls for service. We can fund uh, our youth employment program, summer jobs program more. We could reduce our reliance on property taxes. The list goes on, right? I think there are no shortage of ideas about how we could spend money um, in a more effective way to address people's needs and concerns. And again, I don't hear a lot of folks clamoring for a runoff that, gosh, I just have to have my second bite at the apple there. I'm think, sure Chicagoans would also appreciate TV ads and signs coming down earlier than, <laughs> than they typically have been. Uh, typically have been. Look, we might see some political consultants who stand to lose a little bit by um, having uh, five fewer weeks of employment. But at the end of the day, I think that the trade-offs are more than worthwhile. What is... This resolution that you introduced a couple of uh, weeks ago, why don't you explain it for uh, listeners? So it's, it's a pretty simple one. I'm, I did not introduce an ordinance or a law that says this is exactly how I propose we do it. Instead, I introduced a resolution simply calling for a conversation um, to get some experts to participate in a hearing, to bring, to have those include one or more individuals from cities and other parts of the country that have adopted ranked choice voting and can talk about uh, the ways in which it's worked, maybe the ways in which it hasn't worked. Yeah, um, I wanted but, to ask if you have groups in mind for uh, potentially this, this hearing. So I think that there are a number of organizations who have done this work in and around Illinois, including most recently in Evanston. So I think about Reform for Illinois. 
I think about Fairvoid, Fair, uh, Fairvote, Illinois, um, Common Cause is another one, and I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving some groups out, but they're not hard to find. They've been doing this work all across Illinois and beyond, and they're groups that I've been talking with over many, many months about um, the potential benefits and seeing more recently how frustrated people have become with how complicated and complex a lot of our races are at the mayoral and automatic level. I feel now's the time to have that conversation so that when the next term starts in May, we have that recent memory, those recent experiences, those recent frustrations, and that can inform, hopefully, uh, me and others convincing a majority of my colleagues on city council that we should adopt that in advance of the next uh, municipal election in 2027. In, in observing how Evanston moved forward th with this and um, similarly, in observing the elections in a few weeks in Chicago, what will you be looking for um, to inform your own opinion on potentially adopting ranked choice voting in the future? Yeah. Part of it is uh, making sure we're finding ways, including visuals, visual tools, to explain how ranked choice voting works. Because what I've heard and read regarding cities who in the past have adopted ranked choice voting is that at the outset, certain members of the public and certain members in city government have had some questions about, well, how does this work? It's not always the most intuitive thing to explain or to digest. And so I think it'll be really important for me and for other advocates to see how Evanston is, has fared, what they did to get that across the finish line, but also how they're continuing to engage residents and prospective voters. So that ex explanatory piece is a really important one. Also logistics, we'll wanna talk with Evanston and other cities, including larger cities, to see how much time they needed to uh, adopt the sort of changes, techn technological changes to their voting system to allow this to happen. Um, so those are, those are two that I think I start with, you know, how we explain it, how the logistics work, but it is something where it could save money, it could generate voter enthusiasm beyond what we're already seeing. So I think the downsides are relatively few based on the conversations I've had to date. What do you see, uh, uh, what do you see as potential downsides? And uh, certainly I, I understand the argument that it could create more voter enthusiasm, but there's also the potential for confusing people further. Would you disagree or? I think that's, there are questions of course around how does this work, right? People want to um, not just hear, but see, and to confirm that there's not gonna be some problem with the system such that votes uh, somehow dissolve or that the system doesn't work the way that we are intending and that for days or weeks, the results are unclear. And look, those are concerns that we can have about any system of elections. Um, so that's something I take very seriously, but the experiences in a lot of other cities, including peer cities and even states that have done this, like mm -hmm. the state of Alaska, with their recent series of congressional elections, lead me to believe that with the right sort of attention and planning that we should be able to uh, address any big challenges and minimize even small ones from ultimately occurring. Yeah, where does the resolution currently sit? Yeah, so right now it um, sits in the Rules Committee, which for listeners who follow city council work a lot, that historically has been the committee where legislation goes to die. 
That's changed, thankfully, in recent years. There are a number of uh, ideas and proposals that have come out of the Rules Committee. I expect nothing differently here, especially when we're talking about a conversation. But at the end of the day, I've had lots of inquiries about this, generally all positive. And at the end of the day, we just want to start a conversation about an important issue. And then let's revisit the issue once we've had an opportunity to digest all that. I don't think that the ask here is an especially big or controversial one. Yeah, that was going to lead into my next question was what, what's sort of the feedback you've heard from your fellow uh, aldermen and maybe the mayor or other mayoral contenders? So uh, generally it's been positive, but also people who aren't necessarily familiar with it, just asking how it works. So any mayoral uh, contenders, like we need to definitely do ranked choice voting. Uh, I've not, I've I'm not, in, I'm, get, I'm on board right away with this. <laughs> I've not pitched it in that way okay. to say, look, I want to know exactly where you stand. Other organizations like Reform for Illinois, I believe, have included questions like that in their questionnaires. I haven't had an opportunity yet to um, see what the results are of that, but I have um, shared with a number of people, including colleagues on city council, that I'm interested in this, and in uh, the vast majority have said, yeah, this sounds like an interesting and worthwhile issue to explore, and so let's do that. Yeah. Are there any sort of myths about ranked choice voting that you've encountered in your own research that you would like to debunk for people or things that you are common misconceptions or anything? Um, so one uh, is that in no particular order that it can um, reduce turnout. Um, that generally has not been the case. Uh, there are others who contend that it reduces turnout specifically of minorities. No evidence that I've been able to find behind that. The research that I've been able to review indicates that the opposite um, has been the case in a number of places. Um, some will say voters get exceptionally frustrated um, with it, um, including people of color. Again, that's not the case from what the evidence shows. And so even if it's a situation where not every single voter ranks all of the candidates that they're able to say the top five, um, there were still people who will say, well, I, here are my two or three preferred candidates and I feel comfortable doing that. Maybe I don't care to note who my eighth preferred candidate or ninth preferred candidate is. And that's OK. The idea, again, is not to ensure that everyone fills it out in the exact same way, but instead they come in feeling more excited to cast their vote and that they show up to vote to begin with. Yeah. What I don't know how much uh, research you've done into how this would be implemented or if things would need to be radically changed about the board of elections or anything like that to actually implement this at this scale is that something that you've looked into yet at all or are you waiting for hearings to take place potentially so i've had initial conversations about that done some initial research but i haven't let myself fall down a rabbit hole just yet i figure it's best to collect kind of the entire universe of potential questions and concerns, and then work with colleagues, work with staff, work with outside advocates and experts to methodically go through and address those as best as possible. Are there any other sorts of electoral reforms similar to ranked choice voting that, that you have uh, inquired about or pursued uh, at our city level, especially just because we're in election season. I know people always have, um, concerns about the nominating petition process, for instance, and other things like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, what other sorts of uh, qualms do you have about 
how Chicago elections are run, if, if you could. Yeah, one um, piece of legislation that I have introduced, um, and we had an initial hearing on it a few weeks ago, is about uh, publicly financed elections. And that can take a number of different forms. And what I um, have started off by way of proposal is a small dollar donor matching program. So the idea being that we want to incentivize um, uh, candidates for office to spend as much time talking with as many different people as opposed to chasing after a small number of individuals who can write incredibly large checks. And so places like uh, New York, um, for example, um, have uh, successfully adopted a small dollar uh, matching program. Um, I think it started off maybe two to one, four to one, and now is up to about eight to one. And uh, there are ways to make sure that um, you're limiting it to people who really need it or really using it as attended. So in short, you don't want someone utilizing a small dollar matching program, say getting a seven to one match, an eight to one match, and then taking $5,000 checks. I think the idea is choose your lane, right? Um, that and for end- people who don't understand it, it's, it's um, explain it like this. So if I give $50 to someone or if yeah. I give $100 or $1,000 to someone, what, what then happens? So the idea is that up to a particular level, and what I've proposed to start is $175, that a, a, a donation would be matched. Um, I believe we start off with seven to one. Um, and uh, it really is to make sure that the voices of everyday residents, people of modest means, aren't crowded out by the voices of just a few wealthy and well-connected individuals. Um, We do have an overall cap of $500 so that, again, you're not availing yourself of the small dollar donor match and then cashing in these huge checks. It's really, let's, let's have you pick your path and stick with that. But at the end of the day, say you come from modest means. You're the first person in your family to ever run for office. It's a big stretch for you. You don't have a big job where you're making two hundred, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars a year. So it's a big deal for you to run, right? But it's 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 an expensive proposition. So say everyone in your family, including your grandma and your grandpa, your mom, your dad, your aunts and uncles, they all give you $50. That's a big thing for them, right? Working class households and to give anything like that is is super impactful. But then someone else can just get a $5,000 check from an individual or two $5,000 checks from a couple. And that just drowns out the voices of so many everyday people who would love to support at the biggest level possible, but $50 is what they can do. So to have uh, a six to one, seven to one match to amplify those voices it makes sure that you can run a competent campaign. Maybe it's not gonna enable you to raise $500,000, but that's okay. You generally don't need that to run a successful aldermanic campaign. The last thing I would say in terms of prerequisites is the idea isn't that, okay, your first $50, that gets matched and onward and onward, that you have to demonstrate that you have some baseline of support. So what we've proposed is um, raising to start $17,000 and then the match will kick in. But you want to make sure that people are reaching out to enough individuals and then at least 100 or so of those people so what you in your base level community. Of support before that sort of donation That's right. match we wanna, kicks in? Yeah, because look, we are using public funds to help you 
engage voters in a constructive way. We don't want this to be a vanity project. We don't want you, we want to minimize the opportunity or, of someone having second thoughts. So if you really want to take this seriously, you're someone who's deeply rooted in your community and you're willing to take that next step, put yourself out there to serve in ways that we want to incentivize. We want to have robust municipal elections for all these different positions, then the public comes together and says, hey, we collectively will kick in a little bit of money so that you can get your message out there, but first we wanna make sure that you're serious. And so we, we will need to calibrate that correctly, but at the end of the day, we do wanna make sure that there's a minimum number of, of co contributions coming in and that there's uh, enough money without you know being you know, too much, but still enough that indicates you've got skin in the game, you're gonna take this seriously. Um, switching gears back to uh, rules committee, as, as we talked about before, how confident are you that it will um, get to the stage where there is a hearing on ranked choice voting? And if you were to ask one question of a potential subject matter expert on ranked choice voting, what, what, is, what do you still want to know that you've not learned? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of getting out of the rules committee, I'm reasonably confident, but look, the, I, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm hopeful. I expect that that will happen, but I've got to do the work. I've got to continue talking with all of my aldermanic colleagues, including Michelle Harris, who's the chairwoman of that committee. So those conversations will continue. And once we get greater clarity around when that next rules committee meeting will be scheduled, I'll talk with the chairwoman about um, hopefully getting this on the agenda and then convincing a majority of my colleagues to support just assigning it to the committee that I had initially hoped it would be assigned to, which is the Committee on Ethics and Government Oversight. Um, you know, in terms of questions, I've had the opportunity to ask a lot already of various experts. So I, I would... I would maybe like to take questions that I've been getting most frequently from residents and from my colleagues and really use my limited time to ask questions to uplift those, especially if they haven't already been asked in a hearing. So things like um, talk with me about, you know, expert so-and-so, the impact that ranked choice voting has had on improving uh, uh, voter turnout overall and then within segments of voters. How about youth? Has this had a disproportionately beneficial impact on youth turnout, which we know relative to many other um, age ranges is lower than we would like it. Let's talk about women and minorities. And then a second one, I think, being let's talk about the outcomes. Um, uh, have we seen um, better representation as a result coming out of uh, utilization of ranked choice voting? And, and that could take a number of different flavors, right? You could talk about um, people's educational backgrounds, employment backgrounds, race and ethnicity, gender. Um, so the list goes on, but I think to get a better understanding of what the outcomes have been beyond turnout in terms of who ultimately wins these elections where ranked choice voting is used. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I, I just happen to be a reporter who has covered a ranked choice race before. Mm -hmm. I, I was working as a reporter in New Mexico in this town uh, where they had their first ranked choice mayoral election with 10 candidates, like the year that I got there. And um, I interviewed voters on that day and I remember just people telling me that they were still going to vote traditionally. They were just going to mark one of the candidates and not rank some of them. Uh, others said that they were going to rank all 10 people. And uh, I think as a reporter, it's it's I've had to take questions from readers about this stuff before. And I think one thing that I always find interesting is um, trying to explain to people why 
like the rationale behind why you should rank multiple people and trying to tell them that, well, if you're, if you're only ranking one person, you could be disenfranchising yourself in a way. And, and I find that that's, um, that like, have you thought to the extent again about the potential educational component that would have to be, you know, this uh, probably huge educational campaign that would have to be undertaken by the city, um, to inform people about this. And, and I know you kind of talked about visuals, but, yeah. um, you know, were there things that you saw from some of these groups that you've talked to that, that worked and what didn't? One thing that I've thought about, um, say in the context of the current mayor's race, where um, I will name some names a little bit and get descriptive, just with polling. Yeah. Most of the polling that I've seen indicates that there are five candidates who are consistently getting at least 10%. Um, and that varies, of course, poll to poll, but in no particular order, it's Mayor Lightfoot, it's Commissioner Johnson, Congressman Garcia, Paul Ballas, and Dr. Wilson. And so what happens if you like one of those candidates um, and you list them and only them and you have the opportunity to rank um, and say they don't make the runoff? Maybe what I would propose to people is, wouldn't you like to have the ability to nevertheless have an, out, have an ability to affect the outcome of those, those other two people um, in a ranked choice voting system? So say person A doesn't get it, that's the person who is your first choice. Will person B and C go to a runoff? you could still have the opportunity to weigh in on uh, who uh, you would prefer between those two. And I think many people, if not most, would take you up on that offer. Yeah, I think most people understand the reasoning behind it if you can kind of break through that, that barrier of, of it. Be, it's very esoteric for people when you first bring it up to them about, well, why do I need to you know, rank it? And um, yeah, to me, as, as a reporter, that's what I've always found is the thing even from advocates is that I hear is that it's it's very very difficult to explain to certain people and that it, that can be a real uh, challenge when mm -hmm. you're trying to implement but it doesn't mean that these advocates don't want to go for it and they see the the benefits but that's that's what I've typically encountered mm -hmm. I will say I'll, I'll give a quick plug to reform for Illinois they do have a tool right now an online tool I've seen it um, on Twitter, linked, linked via Twitter, but I imagine it's been linked in a lot of different places where you can just go through and with the current crop of mayoral candidates, list five. Um, and then it'll show you visually what happens when, uh, based on their, you know, their, their sample um, uh, uh, election, well, person, you know, a certain person is nine. And so they get crossed off and it'll show you how um, their voters are redistributed to the other candidates and so on and so forth. And you've already heard me twice explain how this works, <laughs> but to just see that nice, simple, clean visual uh, was really impactful for me. And I think the more opportunity that people have to see things like that, to um, uh, use things like that, because it, it is meant to uh, be used, not just seen, I think will help people wrap their heads around it. And that's really, that's really the mechanism. It isn't as if, okay, well, once you do that, you have 17 other steps. It's really just this one vote, this ranking, and then the instant runoff is used to simply described it. In a survey taken by Reform for Illinois and Common Cause Illinois ahead of the February 28th election, at least six of the nine mayoral contenders said that they supported ranked choice voting, including the two that made the runoff, Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson and former CPS CEO Paul Vallis. The Cloutcast was produced and edited by me, Michael McDevitt.